Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, where each episode I interview a small business owner about the real world of entrepreneurship, which these days means having dealt with the pandemic for over a year. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, a guy with two businesses and a podcast, and today I'm interviewing Jordan Buckner, a guy with two businesses and a podcast. Way, way more on that, but first, our fun fact. Today's fun fact is a rare, actual fun fact. Projections about when all adult Americans will have access to a COVID vaccine has been moved up all the way to May, bolstered by the recent approval of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which only requires one shot and regular vaccine storage temperatures, President Biden and Anthony Fauci both recently stated publicly that May is now the most realistic timeline for widespread availability. For more on how that is being received by the world, let's jump into our weekly quantitative segment of historical context, Facts and Figures. Let's start with the good news and finish with the pretty good news. Like I just mentioned, vaccination rates are continuing upward with the U.S. now administering more than 2.1 million vaccinations every day. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine only requires one shot, unlike Moderna and Pfizer, which requires two, and can be stored like most vaccines in regular freezers, not at the subarctic temperatures required by Moderna and Pfizer. Extrapolating, it would seem this bodes particularly well for rural populations whose remote locations make delivery of Moderna and Pfizer vaccines difficult. That being said, there is criticism that the less effective Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be administered disproportionately to specific populations. As the total vaccination numbers continue to add up, active cases and death rates are thankfully continuing to decline across the board, both worldwide and in the U.S. That said, the vaccinations are too late for the over 535,000 lives lost in the U.S. alone, currently adding more than 1,800 each day. Though that number is down only 9% in the last two weeks, it should theoretically drop precipitously in the next month as the vaccines continue to add up. How is that affecting the jobs market? Unemployment is relatively unchanged from last week, which was the lowest since before Thanksgiving, but that doesn't mean it's historically normal. Everybody together now, weekly unemployment would have been record-setting prior to the pandemic. Instead, it's just average. The last thing we measure every week is the stock market, Amidst a wild week of corrections with stocks like Tesla and Apple down significantly, 30 and 20% respectively, the rest of the market remains in record territory because it's always in record territory, apparently. This period will truly go down in history as one of the strangest periods in stock market history. Mass unemployment, a medical care system bulging at the seams with overflow beds in parking lots, and yet, after just a couple of weeks of worry, came a year of almost unencumbered growth. Weird. My guest today is Jordan Buckner, who, like I mentioned earlier, has two businesses and a podcast. Jordan first co-founded T-Squares, a line of superfood energy bars designed to help people stay focused and alert so they could achieve their passions. In the midst of the pandemic, 
Jordan took his years of experience in the natural foods business and created foodbevy.com to create a pipeline for food and beverage companies to grow from startup to scale by reducing the resource and network gaps for founders. Let's get to it. Jordan, thanks for being here. Grant, thank you so much. I'm really excited for today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to not only someone with a a, a double business owner, but also with your own podcast. Yes, you know, I'm uh, trying to be like you. (laughs) Well, that's your first mistake. Uh, (laughs) So let's go ahead and start with your first company, because obviously we, you know, we start every episode with our pre-COVID set, i.e. what were your hopes, dreams, reasonable expectations for 2020? Kind of, if you can travel back in time to the end of 2019, where were you as a business and what, what was your business? What is your business? Yeah. So about five years ago, I launched a company called T-Squares, which is a line of superfood energy snacks, all designed towards helping people stay focused, alert, and energized through the day. And if you go back to, you know, even 2016 at that time, there are a lot of protein bars on the market, but a lot of what people were eating them for was actually sitting at their desk or sitting at the office and looking for a pick-me-up. So create a bar that used ingredients like organic tea and adaptogens to really help give you that boost and lift for the day. Over the course of our journey, we've started off selling in grocery stores online and someone kind of mentioned selling at corporate offices. It was actually a conversation I had with Peter Rahal from RX Bar who said, you know, for his company, they famously started selling their bars at CrossFit gyms, a place that people didn't typically think of of selling a food product, but at the same time, it was really able to reach his audience there. And that was their kind of core customer hitting that need when it was most evident. And, and so the bar was scaled from like zero to like, I think they sold for like $600 million or something crazy after only a few years. So a good source of advice. Exactly. Yeah. They did like I think a million and 15 million and like 20 million in sales, like they're growing like crazy in their first couple of years. So I was like, okay, this is someone that I can actually listen to. <laughs> and, you know, for T-squares, what that really was, was targeting corporate offices because that's where people were at when their energy levels were low and they needed to pick me up to stay focused to get through the rest of the day. And so in 2019, at that time, we essentially pivoted to exclusively, almost exclusively focus on corporate offices. And it was going amazing. We had great accounts, places like LinkedIn and Dropbox, all buying T-squares. And it was awesome because the offices were actually buying the snacks from us at our wholesale price. Didn't have to do a trade spread or promotions. And the workers at the office were able to try them for free which is amazing because then there's almost no barrier for them to actually try them. They mm-hmm. love them. They would buy more. The office would buy more. It was amazing. Yeah. As opposed to if you're at Whole Foods, if you are you can deliver a pallet of 8,000 energy bars to a LinkedIn campus to go through a pallet of product at Whole Foods, you don't need to sell. You need to sell to, I don't know, 3,000, 4,000 different individuals as opposed to who, and every single one of them needs to say, yes, this the value proposition of this bar makes sense to me. It jumps out to me from this wall of 200 
like items, you know, from your RX bars to your, to your Rickaroons to everything in between. When you're selling to LinkedIn, you have one office manager who's like, yeah, I like your bars and my people like their bars. So great because we're in Silicon Valley and money is just a construct. So who cares about paying, you know, $10,000 for your pallet of bars? They don't care. They need Uh, to keep their workers happy. (laughs) You can truly build. Well, you could have pre COVID built an entire business around selling, you know, for a three, four, five person company, just selling products to Silicon Valley easily. You know, and I know you did this with Rick Rooms too, but it definitely felt like a hack and like a way around the system to really yes. get directly to those customers, right? It was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it. Yes, it was just like a, it was just a hack. That's all it was. It, you go out and get 200 regular grocery store customers that you're absolutely grinding to stay in touch with and stay, you know, at the top of their list or just a couple of, you know, you, you make the right connections in Silicon Valley or LA or New York, kind of these, these big offices that uh, are doing everything they can to incentivize their high paid staff to stay in the office and never have a reason to leave. (laughs) Ah, those were the days. Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) we will obviously talk about how that, uh, how that changed and a little bit of foreshadowing. It uh, almost disappeared overnight. Mm -hmm. Yep. So at Let's see, heading into 2020, where were you as far as your revenue goals for 2020 and then your your staffing as well? Oh my gosh. So going into 2020, and this is like universal. I have never met anyone who was like, you know, 2020 was going to be a bad year for us. Mm-hmm. Like that did not happen. Everyone said like, this is going to be amazing. And for us, it was the same thing. So, you know, the previous year we had did a little bit under like half a million dollars in sales. And looking towards 2020, we were looking to do somewhere around like $800,000. And along with that, we had just launched with a couple major distributors. We just launched with um, UNFI, who's a big natural channel distributor out on the West Coast. But their one distribution center out in um, Rockland and Moreno Valley, they handle like 50% of all of their corporate accounts and food service accounts. And so that was like, we finally got in there and we had a list of like 20 offices that pulled from that distributor who were getting ready to buy. Think just like huge volumes. We had just launched with Vistar and we were selling to uh, Cisco Systems. And for the first couple months of the year, like they were selling buying so much that we couldn't keep up. We were literally overnighting product from Chicago to California because they were going through product that fast. Like we could not make it and ship it fast enough to them. And, and for ridiculous. our listeners who, who aren't in the industry, those are three of the biggest, if not the three biggest food distributors, period. Exactly. And right, we were selling, it was crazy. We were going through probably like, 10,000 10, T-squares a week at that point of our bars. And it was wild and only increasing. They at first doubled our order and then they doubled our order again. And so it was continuing to grow from there. It was, it was nuts. And then along with that, um, to get into a lot of these offices, as you kind of know, you have to get to know the right person, the right decision maker. And we had gotten invited to these tabletop shows to pitch to offices like Viacom and Nickelodeon. And I remember in March, we had 
like for these events set up and that we were planning for and so excited for that. Yeah, I wonder if we ever ran across each other or, or you know, crossed paths at any of those shows. It seems like such a long time ago. So all in all, 2020 was shaping up to be a great year. You were on pace to do, it sounds like, somewhere between maybe two thirds of a million to a million somewhere in there. It sounds would be like exactly. pretty reasonable. And did you were, were you running this solo or did you have a team? Nope. So I have a team. So I have um, a couple co-founders in the business. One of those that works with me full-time in the business and he handles all our operations. Um, and we also manufacture our own products. So we had a staff of uh, four people who are actually manufacturing the T-squares. Part of our mission as well is providing job opportunities to young adults from underserved neighborhoods. And so we're actually located in the Inglewood neighborhood on the south side of Chicago and hire individuals from our community who, you know, were really smart, really passionate, but might not have, you know, had other opportunities to actually have a good, well-paying job. And so that was something that was, you know, really great that we were able to provide. And we were looking to increase our um, positions as well to keep up with the demand for the year. Do you have a, a kind of an, an estimated headcount for where you were in, say, February of 2020? Yeah, so in February, we had, so six of us kind of in the business working, and we were looking to add probably another three to four on in, in labor for manufacturing. Okay. Well, I feel like we have a, a pretty decent picture of what T-Squares was doing pre-COVID, but I know you had sort of a, a seedling of a, of a side project that you were working on as well. Can you tell us about that? That's exactly right. So... You know, as I got started and launched my business, when I started in the industry, I had no idea what I was doing. And the only thing that I was able to do to figure it out was like Google for the most part. Um, and what I realized is a lot of founders in a very similar situation where they have an idea, they want to get started in the industry, but don't know where to start. And what I realized is there you know, needs to be better resources to help um, get access to information and how to guides and just these tools to grow your business. And so in 2020, at the beginning of the year, I said, you know, hey, let me create a online community and platform where I can help take everything that I've learned from running my business and help teach others as well. And so that became foodbevy.com, which is set up to be an online platform to help uh, companies grow from startup to scale. Which is... I can't remember the exact details, but that is, that is how I believe how you and I originally connected. It is. Yep. It definitely is. So Etsy heading into early March, let's say, just uh, let's see how precise we can get here. What was the status of food bevy? Was it up and running completely or was it, was it still kind of in that beta stage? Nope. So early March, it was just an idea. I had reached out to some other founders that I knew to really understand like what their pain points were currently and what their pain points were in starting their businesses so that I could really think about like if I was going to create this resource what would it be who is it going to help and what were the problems I can help solve and where I realized there's a gap was for businesses who had recently started who are maybe doing 
you know, somewhere around $100,000 or so, but really looking to take that next step, which really looks like, how do I access, you know, buyers? How do I find good co-manufacturers that are going to produce my products so I can grow? How do I find the right kind of marketing agencies and consultants that are really going to help me? And so the first thing that I developed was a directory of industry partners so that as a business, you can go there and find exactly the right partners who are going to help you along your next growth stage. Well, first of all, can you go back in time about seven or eight years, start Food Bevy, and then help me out, please? Because I feel like that would have <laughs> accelerated things about four or five years faster. Well, you know, like I designed it to be, <laughs> I designed it to be that the thing that I wish I had at the very beginning, mm -hmm. right? And it took all the learnings that we both kind of went through to understand now, like what we would do differently or not, but I never would have been able to start it had I not gone through this myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm e eager to get to our mid COVID segment and hear all about uh, how, well, what happened to T-Squares and Food Bevy. I think they went in opposite directions. But before we do, it's time, as always, for our guests, Unsponsor, aka an awesome company run by awesome people who produce an awesome product. They don't pay for this shout out, but they deserve one anyway. So Jordan, who is today's show not brought to us by? So today's show is not brought to us by Regina at Nimi Holy Sticks, which is a crunchy snack made from cactus and amaranth. So it sounds a little like interesting, but super delicious if you're looking for like a healthier version of, you know, it's not really like a like Cheetos, but kind of gets that same satisfaction of like super crunchy snack, um, great ingredients, all natural products, and um, just a really great founder who's creating it. And if you're interested, you can check it out at nimiholysticks.com. Um, great, delicious product. You'll wish you would have found it earlier. Yeah, I'm looking at their website right now, and I am going to get some of these as soon as we are done. This looks delicious. Yes. Do the churro. That's uh, my favorite flavor. Okay, yeah. They got a, a spirulina lime, chili mm -hmm. turmeric, a churro with cinnamon and dates. All right. I'm into it. I'm sold. All right, let's get into our mid-COVID set and start just about as always with, if you can remember, what was the first business impact you felt from COVID? So as I mentioned, in March, we going into April, we had these tabletop shows set up for offices to get into their companies. And I remember getting a email from Viacom who was like, hey, we're going to push back the date of the show, you know, because of this kind of COVID thing, we're still trying to figure it out. So it's like, all right, great. We're just going to move back a week. And then emailed them and they were like, Hey, we're actually going to cancel this with no plans to restart it or re, you know, reset it up. And it was like, okay. And then I got my next response from another table chat show. And they're like, Hey, we had this event plan, but we're canceling all events. We're canceling like all travel for our employees. And we're just putting this on hold. And that's when I first started getting like the initial inklings that things were, were starting to change. And then everything just dropped within the next week or so in turn. And what that looked like were orders from all of our office customers just completely stopped. It was like full stop, don't send us any more product. Um, we're still trying to figure out like what this means, how we're gonna move forward. But within a week's time, our orders went from 
you know, maybe like 50 different orders from our wholesale customers in a week to like one. And so everything just completely stopped from there. And, you know, I remember even talking to at the time, like I was calling um, the companies, the distributors, and it was just kind of pandemonium because no one knew what was really going on. If you remember, right. So like the offices are closing, but then in between there, there's like two or three layers of middlemen and women sometimes from the distributors to the office suppliers and the people in the middle who are our partners as well, they weren't really sure what was going on or how it was going to affect their business. And so they were kind of freaking out too. And I remember just for the next you know, two weeks, there were just like phone calls back and forth, a lot of unknowns, a lot of like unanswered emails because no one had any answers. And it was kind of at that point that I realized like, this isn't, this isn't going to be good <laughs> for any of us. Yeah. And then it even started with like some of our vendors weren't paying us because they were trying to like hold on to as much money as possible because they said like, oh crap, like we aren't going to get paid from our clients or we're not going to see any future business. So we need to try to hold out as best we can too. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody on blast here, so I won't name names, but I know there's at least one very high profile distributor in the, in, in the, in this specific market who owed a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of businesses of our size, kind of those like mid hundreds of thousands looking to crack that million dollar barrier owed them a lot of money which was really, really hard because this is a very cash flow uh, sensitive industry to be in, right? Like if I'm, if I'm going to sell you 10,000 Rickaroons, well, that means I already paid for a ton of almond butter and coconut sugar and, or coconut nectar and coconut and all of these different things. And I had to buy them in big quantities. And, you know, ideally, I get paid before I have to pay my bills, but more often than not, it doesn't work that way. So you have to have the cash, you know, you have to have the, the, the war chest to, to scale. And that's obvious. That's oftentimes one of the hardest things about trying to scale, but then to have paid all of it and then not have a, not have any income coming in. And on top of that, you had like you, I, I I'm guessing here, but I'm, did you have a bunch of leftover inventory because you had been trying to scale to just to we meet that, that crazy demand that you had at the beginning of the year? We did. So we had ordered a bunch of inventory. And right, as you just mentioned, at this stage, right, like I'm ordering ingredients and packaging player manufacturing runs for specific customers. And so it's not like I had like, oh, I can just move this over to this other customer who's been wanting to buy our product. Like, no, like I had planned our inventory to match the demand from you know, this customer, it seemed fairly reliable. And so all the product that we had, we were kind of sitting on it for a while and had to really figure out like, what are we going to do with this? You know, I talked to another founder and she had sold a bunch of her product to a distributor and distributors basically like, Hey, we're not going to be able to use this at all. So we're going to send it back to you. And we're not going to pay you for it. Like you have to pay to send it back to yourself and then you figure out what to do with it because like we are not going to pay for this. And it's devastating for a small business. Yeah. Especially at that time when PPP was undecided and you're looking at, I mean, if you're looking at going from 50 sales, 50 wholesales uh, calls a week down to one or two, you're looking at like a 96, 98% reduction. 
And things slowly started to trickle a little bit, maybe in like, you know, May or June, slowly. But it in the office space, did you see anything different than that? Or, or did you also see things pretty much like that tap just turned off? It pretty much turned off. What I saw was some companies tried doing like mailing health boxes or snack boxes to their employees at home. But that usually was like a one-time thing or like a once a quarter thing versus buying, you know, thousands of snacks per day for employees. So the scale was just much, much smaller. And that, you know, so that wasn't too viable for actually long-term success. And then once some employers were kind of toying with opening back up, right. And got a call saying like, Hey, we have a thousand person office, but we're only having 10 people come in a day, but we want snacks to be there. Right. And so it's like, okay, it's 1% of the traffic that's, that's going there and almost, you know, wasn't, wasn't worth it at that time just to like manage that, that small account. Yeah. Right. If you, because the, the time that it takes you, especially like in this day and age where most people in our business don't have a factory, quote unquote, they use co-packers, co-manufacturers. A lot of what we do is just emails and phone call follow-ups and then orchestrating from our laptops where the the delivery of everything and and making sure that kind of the you can manage like operations almost from anywhere unless you have your if you don't have your own facility so what that means is you're spending the same amount of time to orchestrate delivery of four cases of 12 units each so to to get okay they want 48 bars yeah we can send that but it's going to take you the same amount of time to create an invoice and and send the email to have that shipped as it would if they wanted four pallets it's no by the way right like our wholesale cost of like we're making for those is like dollar a bar and so we're selling for the a's like you know 48 dollars just that's how much we get on that order plus you know shipping and all the ingredient costs and the packaging mm-hmm. and the labor right like you're making like pennies on that yeah <laughs> in terms no, of i know some, actually, sometimes yeah. you look at an order and you're like great i just did all this work and i literally made 14 dollars yes <laughs> and i mean as you were kind of mentioning too so most companies will work with contract manufacturers to make their product um which has its own pros and cons um, with us because we have our own manufacturing facility, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of like, do we, can we afford to keep our employees on? Can like, how much product should we make? We had all this ingredient supply. And so we should probably turn it into finished goods, but now I have to go out and find new customers to sell it to you. But the majority of my customers who were buying it read the corporate offices none of them are buying anymore and so we what i ended up doing was pivoting that inventory into um, amazon which was you know decent for our our business but nowhere the size of the corporate office accounts and just to like move as much product as we could before you know before it would go bad or before it would spoil and so that was really challenging and um yeah that was hard for us did you have to make personnel cuts? What we did was reduce the hours for our team members and 
you know, we had a really honest conversation and right. We're not doing this in the vacuum. So they know what's going on, but really sat them down and said like, Hey, this is the situation with our business. We like all these orders that we've been working our ass off for the past couple of months um, are going to corporate offices. All of them have closed down. So we don't have the same demand for that. What we were able to do eventually was um, apply and get the PPP funding, which was great. And that allowed us to keep our employees on for a few more months as we were looking for ways to, to kind of pivot through it. Ultimately, what we decided was, you know, there, the market just wasn't large enough for um, corporate offices to really sustain us. And our e-com sales were not enough to maintain our overhead. And we didn't have a huge stockpile of cash from like investment or anything. And so unfortunately, you know, we had to make the decision to suspend our operations while we looked at, you know, how things might change, how the market might come back and if there are any opportunities to, to restart. And so, you know, currently the, the business is still suspended from that just because the situation that we're still in as a country and as a world. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a, are, are there fixed costs that you are facing in just, just in terms of like rent on the space, on the manufacturing facility, I guess, uh, question mark. Yeah. Sorry. So we were, we were renting out, um, from, from the owner. And so we had to end our lease and, you know, thankfully we were able to do that. And so essentially we cut our expenses down to almost zero. Um, as we kind of just maintain things and looking for ways that we you know, might eventually restart. Did you have any, but, you know, that's going to be other costs involved with that as well. Right. Did you have, do you have like a, a storage facility with manufacturing, uh, you know, with ingredients, with supply, with your produced inventory, or did you liquidate everything and just kind of ready to come back with the IP and the know-how later? Yeah, so we sold through, uh, we, we made the rest of the inventory and it used all the ingredients. And so we sold through what we had left over the course of kind of the second half of 2020. And so we were able to get through all of that. And we actually had like minimal equipment. And so we were able to sell some of them, you know, some of the tables and um, we, we the, some of the other equipment was with the, with the owner of the building. Um, and so, yeah, I think in terms of restarting, you know, it's, it's not starting from zero, but starting from, you know, having to rebuild everything from the ground up again on an operation side. Yeah. Like a, uh, I don't know, a, a carpenter who's built many houses, but currently has no, no, no lumber, no tools. <laughs> it's going to be a, exactly a... right. I like that analogy. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I feel like I'm looking at, uh, I've, <laughs> The only difference between you and me is I have a, I have a foundation poured at this point, maybe, <laughs> uh, but certainly no, no walls or windows <laughs> or maybe, I don't know, no roof. I'm feeling very unprotected and vulnerable at this moment. I hear you. Anyway, uh, well, let's get to the thing that's actually a, a bit of good news. So as, as this, uh, the entity that, that you had put so much time and effort into over the last four or five years was winding down, which I'm sure was a very difficult decision. Obviously, it's it's one thing to see uh, 
see it on paper and then it's another thing to deal with kind of the emotional duress and kind of consequences of seeing the thing that you put all that energy into like there there's a there's a logical decision to be had there to be made but that doesn't make it necessarily any easier like on on the heart i guess it it doesn't um and i can tell you like going into right that year i think because it was so the emotional drop was so drastic of having the really high high of starting off the year on like an incredible note and then having the entire four kind of swept under me right like it it was it was really you know disheartening and um like painful to see everything that like the business was going through and everything that kind of worked with my team to build over the last you know five years um you know, it's, it was also a crazy time though as well, because my daughter was just born at the end of 2019. And so with, you know, it was just crazy all around, right? Cause, cause when the, everything happened, she was only four months old and for the past, you know, five years, T-squares have been my baby, but now I had a li- like an actual baby <laughs> to take care of that needed my, my time, attention and, uh, full dedication and so I think honestly the the sadness of having to kind of slow things down with t-squares honestly was tempered by the fact that I was you know home with my daughter who's a newborn at the time and she was so um, you know demanding as all newborns are that I really had to think about and refocus on like what are my priorities and where can I put do I need to put my time and energy and Right. When you run your own company, you are one of the only ones like responsible for success or not, because if you're not working often, then the business isn't growing until you get to a size where you have other people to, to really grow yourself. And so you're crucial in that stage. Um, but that means that you sacrifice a lot of time, energy and emotions towards it. And with my daughter, I realized I needed to reprioritize what was important in my life and where I put my time and energy. And it was very clear that, you know, my daughter and my wife came first and needing to then take care of us at the same time was, was that second, you know, financially and everything. And so that made the transition a little bit easier where I still, you know, it was, it was hard to see T squares like really starting to go down. Um, but I was able to get to a point of, of mutual respect, I think for everything that we had accomplished and the potential to, to restart things kind of in the future, but I kind of had to pivot my direction elsewhere. And then at the same time, right. So I'm spending more time at home. T squares is, has slowed down our businesses essentially dried up and we were kind of grinding down some of those areas and I'm talking to other founders and entrepreneurs on like the challenges that they're going through with their business right and we're commiserating and sharing stories some businesses are actually in the food space right doing well if they're positioned in grocery or had a strong direct to consumer business that was well positioned kind of before COVID and in a high demand um, category then right some of those did like really really well and so there's this like weird dichotomy in the space, depending on like how you're positioned. Um, but one kind of thing out of that I found out of that was, you know, for businesses on both sides, they're looking, you know, founders are coming to me like, hey, 
I'm looking to grow into like grocery stores or any grocery stores accepting products. And I knew a couple of grocery store buyers. And so I was able to like arrange webinars with them. And all of this kind of work led up to me, you know, really putting some more time and energy into Food Bevy. And I really see it as a hub to make connections between founders and, and you know, and buyers and resources that can really help them. And so um, put time into that and really just making myself a resource to the rest of the food community. And that went amazingly well. And was that a project that you were working on solo or did you go into that with, uh, with some co-founders? So working on it solo and, you know, it started off as me just doing like a lot of one-on-one consulting. And I realized like there was a lot of need and a lot of demand out there. So I thought, hey, let's actually build a community where founders can reach out to each other and share and collaborate together. And so I'm kind of myself running everything, but in, in terms of the infrastructure, but um, really pull in a community effort for other founders to contribute and add value and share information with one another. And have you been able to monetize that yet? Because I know that's the... the it's the difficulty there in monetization when you're creating resources is you need, as with all business, you need money at some point to come in in order to, to fund growth. But with a, it's one thing if you release one flavor of a product, okay, great. You can sell a bunch of that until you can afford to do a, you know, develop a second product and second packaging, et cetera. But you can't just put out a little bit of information, a couple of resources, and then ask, and then, and then, ask for money, right? Like there has to be a certain level that you, that you get to before you can start. Uh, what was the, the timeline like for that? And what is the, what is the revenue model for Food Bevy? Yeah. And so just for a little bit of personal context, about three years ago, I, back in the time where we can meet in person, I worked with um, a couple other founders here in Chicago where I'm based to plan like a monthly roundtable discussion where I brought in like speakers in person and we would share resources kind of in person. And that was really fun until like our businesses started taking off in different directions and didn't have the time or energy to continue going on there because I had to focus on the business, which is actually making me money. So when I built Food Bevy, I wanted to make sure that it was built to sustain itself which meant that it had to make money to fund its continued existence. Otherwise, it would get sidetracked by other things. And at the same time, I want to make it very founder-friendly because that's the direction that in the community I came from. And so essentially built it as a membership community where uh, founders pay for access on an annual basis. It's like $360 for the year. And so try to make it like super affordable so that even early stage founders can get access um, to it. And one thing I pushed to is we have over like $3,000 in discounts that brands can access. So as long as they use like one discount, they can pay for the entire year. And then on the other side, um, we, I brought in sponsors and partners who pay to be listed on our directory and to provide and get access to our founders. But that's also a curated list where I'm really looking for the best agencies, the best marketing companies, place people that come recommended, not just like a catch-all for, for everyone. And so with that, the platform is able to sustain itself now. And 
and we have a couple different levels of membership, but kind of overall, we have about 600 founders who are now involved in the platform and 2,500 industry partners. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to take a, a quick pause there just for, for emphasis. That, those numbers are astounding. 2,500 yeah. industry partners. So that's, I mean, it's, it's it's really great and I, I will preface and say like not all of those are like paying sponsored part of the directory because as you mentioned my main focus is on helping founders be successful and so i went through like my database that i had personally of like great partners in the space and populated directory so that when founders came on the search there's like a plethora of, of places or kind of people to contact um but yeah like really designed it to be focus on founders, but then supported by both founders and our partners, but it's, it's growing really, really strongly. Wow. Ah, I, I, I get the chills hearing any sort of success story and, you know, even any sort of modicum of success. And this seems like it's uh, like, you're onto something, you're providing a solution and you're doing it in a way that provides values to value to all stakeholders, which I feel like is, is the, is the 21st century kind of new way of doing business where everyone truly benefits. There's no like, Oh, I'm just trying to sell this overpriced thing and then make one sale and be done with it. No, you're like, there's, there's a mission to it and you're using your personal experiences and your personal pain points and then trying to alleviate them and, and let people kind of skip that level and go, you know, straight to the, to the solution without the, the hardship of having to reinvent that wheel. I just, I'm just uh, going through my own little fanboy moment right now of, <laughs> of food bevy. It's great. No, and... that's exactly right. And I think, you know, the one thing, which is just me, like when I looked back, my wife and I talked about this, but we both developed like a personal mission statement to really help in guiding our lives. And then when I looked back at the things I really enjoyed doing. I love building. So I love building both products or services or anything that can help make other people's lives a little bit easier. And did that both with T-Squares and now with Foodbevy, but also really enjoy mentoring kind of the next wave and the next generation who's coming along after. And so with Foodbevy, as you kind of mentioned, like the first question I always ask to anyone, our founders or partners is how can I help? What are your goals? And what can I do to help you reach that? And sometimes it's by joining the Foodbevy community if our resources help to fit. Other times it's pointing them in the direction of somewhere else. But my goal first and foremost is to really just help. I love it. I want to take this relationship and interview to the next level, i.e. the, the post-COVID level and, and, or, or segment. So let's move into post-COVID. This segment was originally crafted in March of 2020. And as we all remember maybe because it was like a million years ago, <laughs> we thought that the end of COVID would be at least, you know, in a couple of weeks or months, et cetera. This segment has evolved into sort of a, an opportunity for, for you to prognosticate about what will come next, the pivots you are making, the adjustments you are making into the long-term, um, you know. So I guess, where do you see T-squares going and how will you balance that with food bevy? Yeah, I think on T-squares, there's still 
opportunities there. They just haven't revealed themselves yet. And so that's still going to kind of continue on this holding pattern until we see a, a good opportunity to really launch that. Not really in like an immediate rush because right, we're like tight on cash and don't want to just spend all our cash for nothing. And so we want to make the right re-entry. And then for food bevy, I see the, the need only continuing to grow. One thing that I'm actually really inspired by are the dozens of people, or I mean, that I know, but you know, thousands of people who actually started businesses during the pandemic. And I guess they figured, right, like if their business can survive now, then it can survive almost anything. And so where I continue getting requests and information from founders who are just launching or have been running their business for a couple of years and saying, hey, I'm ready to go to the next level. How can I get um, access to, to the right people to help me grow? And so that's what I'm really inspired by. And so I think, you know, Food Bevy has definitely a great opportunity and need in the, in the market and the community right now. And hopefully we'll, you know, continue to grow. I really want Food Bevy to be that national platform that anyone who's starting a CPG business goes to um, for inspiration and for access to those resources to really help them grow. It from, I, I know this can be difficult when you're inside, uh, but from an outsider looking in, an outsider who has a very parallel business, uh, it seems like T-Square, although that was your initial baby, that's something that's in a very crowded market. Contrast that with Food Bevy, it seems like I am in the space and I don't know of any one-to-one competitors. I think that where I would go if I didn't have Food Bevy would be like Facebook groups. Yeah, but Those are obviously limited to... to and kind of constrained by what by by Facebook's infrastructure or you know and how Facebook was designed, whereas you are designing this very purposefully around um, solving the the problem specifically, like you know of of people in the in the food and beverage space, hence food bevy. Is there are are there competitors? I mean, and and do you think about that as you're like, gosh, T squares is my old baby, but this new thing, it's just you, you can scale it to who knows how far, how big, I mean, you know, food bevy can be a multi-million dollar business and you don't have to worry about cash flow and ingredients and rent and all of these things. How do you I weigh mean, this? I will, yeah. I mean, I will tell you selfishly just because you know this, like I'm having a lot of, I like, I get very fulfilled by helping companies, but you know, also helps not having to worry about the headache of ingredients and supply chain and manufacturing. Um, it's a lot of kind of healthy weight that's, that's on you. Instead, now I can just wake up every day. Like I know directly the names of everyone that I'm helping. And that means a lot to me personally and how I operate. And so I, I'm, I'm so fulfilled by that. There are, I will say like other um, companies and other people doing really great work in the space. And from the outside in, they might look like competitors, but there's a couple of companies that I admire for their work. And like, I'm happy to share those as well. There's a, you know, Ali Ball has a course on retail ready that helps brands grow from, you know, grow in retail stores and be really successful yep. there. I think she I see I her name everywhere. She is. She's awesome. She and I have done, I was on her podcast. She was on mine, um, similar to you. Uh, but, you know, she's doing like amazing work and we talk about, really creating this collaborative space. Um, there's 
Daniel, who runs uh, Startup CPG. There's a company called Guboro, run by Mark, like all doing really great work. And the way that I view it is the more resources out here for founders, the better, because all of us have the goal of helping these founders be successful. And sometimes that means working with um, multiple partners because all of us do something a little differently, right? There's, there's a reason there's, you know, a hundred, like thousands of marketing companies in the world. There's not just one marketing company that can do all the marketing for everyone. And similarly, there's a lot of us out here helping companies and, you know, the, the more, the better, I think, because ultimately that's our goal to help food and beverage entrepreneurs be successful. Just about everything that you just said and that I've heard you say over the course of this interview just gives me hope for businesses coming out of out of out of COVID, uh, knowing that there are, are are people like you who are working kind of in this um, you know multiple bottom line approach to running a business where you know, yes, making money is great, but also like you're working on behalf of your passion and what brings you joy and also doing it in a way that is uh, positively affecting so many people's lives and livelihoods. Uh, I, again, fanboy moment, but um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I applaud all of it. It just, um, yeah, that's it. I, I, I love all of it. If people want to support you, they want to learn more. What's, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, definitely. So if you want to learn more, go to foodbevy.com. That's F-O-O-D-B-E-V-Y.com. Kind of like how it spells or sounds. Um, and follow us on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Connect to me. Really, I'm looking for you know anyone in the food industry, both on the founder side or if you're like a marketing agency or want to just support CPG founders, let me know. Happy to work with you and getting in front of our members and providing value back to them. Awesome. Foodbevy.com. Jordan, it was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for sharing your story. The, the, I'm really glad most of all that we had that, that, that the lows were at the beginning of the story and that it <laughs> seems like we're ending on a high note. So thank you. It is. I appreciate talking with you and, you know, I'm, you know, thankful that I was able to find some positivity in the last year, right? A lot of people have it really tough and still haven't found that yet. Um, so I'm kind of trying to give back and do my part to help them get there as well. Well, well, thank you for, for doing that and for, for sharing, uh, on, on my podcast and, uh, hopefully it, it, this, this helps, uh, amplify your voice and, um, you know, help spread the message that there is, is help out there. If you're, if you're looking for it within our space. Anyway, thank you so much, Jordan. Of course, thank you. Thank you to my guest, Jordan Buckner of foodbevy.com. If you have a food or beverage company or are thinking about starting one, you should really check out foodbevy.com. There will be so many wheels you won't have to reinvent. Time now for my unsponsor, aka a small business doing everything right. They don't pay for a shout out. Heck, they don't even know it's coming, but they still deserve one. Today's show was not brought to you by Marshall Columbia. Yet another small business recommended by my sisters, Marshall Columbia is a Brooklyn-based label known for their embellished clothing and plush bags in eye-catching colors. 
Columbia's joyful designs are meant for the wearer to just have fun. Check them out at marshallcolumbia.com. Speaking of shopping small, check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsored and the small businesses run by our guests. There are now over a hundred businesses listed that you probably have never heard of, but guaranteed will be impressed by. So vote with your wallet for the world you want to live in and shop small. Thank you, Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, Worldometer, NPR, Robin Hood Snack, and Morning Brew Daily News emails, Statista, and my amazing researcher, Kaylin Kwan. Someday this will all be over. Until then, fight the fatigue, social distance, distance, and wear a mask. From an office in North Pacific Beach, recorded and edited before and after work hours, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. And we're back, as always, with our quick bonus lightning round. Four quick questions for our guest, Jordan. Question number one, Jordan, what is your least favorite part about being an entrepreneur? My least favorite part about being an entrepreneur is feeling like your business can run your entire life. I constantly feel like I can't turn down a meeting because it means money that's not going to end up going in my pocket. Number two, how do you feel when you see someone who you've known for a long time, and but maybe haven't talked to them in a long time, when they ask you, how is your business going? How does that make you feel? I used to always tell people like the headline of, hey, everything is going great. These are all the great, cool things. But I think it's really important also to talk about the negatives and the well, there's the realities of running a business. And so I try to give them that real approach, but also and not positive because I never want to get people down. That doesn't surprise me at all about you. What are some stresses about your business that you think people who are kind of outside of your industry have a hard time relating to or maybe can't understand? I think one of the big things is that if you land a famous retailer like Whole Foods, it means you're instantly kind of made. What doesn't always get people or they don't understand is that selling like a single whole foods or even a dozen whole foods is not going to make you a millionaire because the individual kind of traffic at each is relatively low. It's not until you're in thousands of stores that you make any real money. Absolutely. And what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think my favorite part about being an entrepreneur is getting to kind of choose what I do and who I work with. I've worked with some also some really bad people or bad partners who don't have my best interest in mind. And a previous boss once told me, you know, you want to turn up the game and turn down the pain, meaning work with the people that you want to work with and don't work with the people who are going to be a pain in the ass. And so, you know, throw away all the jerks from your life and work with who you want to. Right. And as the, as the owner, as, as the boss, as at the top of the food chain, you get to ultimately decide that. That's exactly right. And you can fire your customers and clients too. Ah, so wise, Jordan. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. 